Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. (laughs) Welcome this morning. Excited that you're with us. Man, it it was fun worshiping. Amen? It's fun to worship the Lord and declare His goodness. I'm excited for presence night. Uh, I don't play as often anymore now that Gillian's our worship pastor, but it was fun. It was fun to get up there. We were like shifting some pieces, and I was like, I want to do it. I'm jumping in. So it's a blast to praise the Lord, and it's a blessing to praise God. Uh, really excited. Um, like my wife mentioned, man, Kingdom Builders and just seeing what God's doing as I hold this guitar pick in my hand. Oh, what God is doing is cool. I was sitting down with our bookkeeper, and we were looking at um, just since Kingdom Builders began here this year, uh, we've already had $21,000 go out to blessing the community and um, and missionaries and all kinds of projects. And this week we have teacher appreciation we're doing for the school. And so we just, we love to be a blessing and continue. And I just want to say thank you for being a part of that. Uh, we, we'll talk about Kingdom Builders, you know, more, but if you ever wondered what it does, is like your tithing offerings are the reason we're able to buy interpretation software so we can interpret into Spanish during our services. Your Kingdom Builders giving is the reason there's people to interpret for. There's the breakdown for you. Uh, but God has been good. I, I, I've really been believing for, for miracles in this season. And one of the things we talked about as a team is, man, we're seeing God move, but often it's just us that knows about it. And so I just want to celebrate some of the things. So I saw my brother Scott this morning, and I was like, man, and he came up and told me another thing that God has done in his life. And uh, Scott is a very humble, amazing person, serves at Love the Block. Uh, we'll give you a ride anywhere. He's just that guy. So I thought I'd just invite him up to just share really briefly what God has done. Can you welcome Scott? this morning. What do you think? Coming up. Good morning, everyone. Uh, 55 years ago on Easter, I was born. Uh, but on the day of my birth, I had a traumatic brain injury. I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Sorry. Excuse me. Um, it was basically a stroke, and I had left side weakness. I didn't walk until I was three or four years old. I lived a very physically unbalanced life with a lot of pain. Three years ago, God began a healing in my life when I started coming to church here. And I want to humbly thank you guys for all of your prayers. Literally, I am 95% physically healed. I have the use of my fingers and my left hand I walked out of my brace at the beginning of March. You guys, I'm living the resurrected life. Miracles still happen today. The word of God is true. Perfect love casts out all fear, and that's my favorite scripture. Fall into the perfect love of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord is good. God is good. Man, I, I love celebrating what the Lord's doing. Even this last week, we were praying over identity and just, just believing, man, God, to, to do some great things. And uh, I, I know that none of y'all, hopefully, well, maybe you did, we're going to change that. You just came for just some, like, safe, boring, lame church. I hope you didn't come for that. hope you didn't come to check a box and uh, move on and go grab your ATL wings or whatever it is you got plans for today. I really hope and believe that somewhere inside of you there's a desire for God to do something in your life, to change, transform, to renew. And that's not by me or any of the team. That's by the Holy Spirit what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And I believe he wants to do that. But today I want to talk about marriage. Somebody say marriage. Marriage, yes. My daughter loves Prince's Bride. Uh, Audrey's living with us. She knows. You've watched it four times that I've personally seen. Uh, she's about it. That's going to be in the DVD player for a while. So welcome to living in our home. Uh, this is life with children. Um, but yeah, excited to talk about marriage today. Something that, that I wanted to clear up that, that has been bugging me is, is this myth that I hear preachers say. And I, I understand why they're saying it because they're trying to kind of like shock people into, I don't know, being better spouses or something. Uh, but they say this thing like, you know, marriage in the church is the same divorce rate as in the world or worse. And I don't know if that's just like in the Bible belt that fires people up. I've never understood that because it's just statistically not true. Like, science, data, the data doesn't support that. Regardless of your agenda, the data does not support that. Uh, divorce is not worse in the church. It is not same in the church. And in fact, 
we know statistically that the broken view of marriage in the world is unsuccessful. It's interesting, I was reading in the U.S. Census Bureau that young adults, this kind of next generation, uh, firmly believes that the best chance you have of being married is to, get it, to be married over 30. There is actually some statistical data to support that getting married um, older than 25 does have an effect because your brain's fully developed. Uh, <laughs> so that does help. You have a full brain, or at least most of a brain. I know a couple 26-year-old men don't have a fully developed brain. Uh, but, you know, I digress. <laughs> uh, but interestingly enough, Christians... The data says are more likely to marry younger, but have less of a chance of divorce. So they're more likely to marry under 30, but they get divorced less. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is the approach to marriage. That as believers, we approach marriage differently. And I'm not talking like you occasionally pop in. I'm saying like you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and live in obedience to his word. That's what I'm talking about. Not like my grandma's a Christian. If I don't go once a year, I'm afraid she's going to call me and no, so I pop in. I don't know how that affects. I don't have the data for that. But if you're a Bible-believing Christian, the approach is different. It's interesting. I read a study that 70% uh, of marriages today begin with premarital cohabitation, meaning living together. In 1964, it was 4%, and today it is 70%. That is a big jump. When you look at the graph, it is a steep increase. And what's interesting in that increase is as that number increases the cohabitation, the age of marriage also increases. So if he's telling you we're getting married someday, baby, the data does not support that. <laughs> Just scientific data does not have his back. L look at the data, women, ladies. Don't, don't let him put you on. <laughs> I was reading a Stanford study that looked at marriages that began with cohabitation and found a substantial increase in divorce, especially after multiple years of marriage. Not a Christian study, a Stanford study. Which kind of leads an interesting point that test driving your spouse is not scientific. So if you're a fan of science, follow the science. Don't test drive. So what about Christian marriages? This is how, if you're new here, this is how I'm going to talk the whole sermon. Just a heads up. <laughs> this is how I look. I'm going to look this way the whole sermon, and I'm going to talk this way the whole time. Just a heads up. Uh, what about Christian marriages? Well, the National Survey of Family Growth said that biblical marriages, usually direct marriages, no cohabitation, are statistically far less likely to divorce. And there's a Harvard study that I was reading, and I found this fascinating, that those who regularly attend religious services, let me say that, those who regularly attend religious services regularly, they attend regularly, they attend regularly, they attend regularly, they attend regularly, regularly. Regularly, they attend. Okay, good. 47% less likely to divorce. So just, if you're here regularly, <laughs> you give your marriage a 50% better shot. Those are good odds. I would take that bet. Tough. That feels worth the two hours. As long as the church is all right. We're all right. 50% better chance. They found in this study, not a Christian study, a Harvard study, that those who attend regularly, they regularly attend regularly, uh, that there is a dramatic decrease in depression. There's a dramatic decrease in divorce and a dramatic decrease in something they called early mortality that I didn't get into, but it felt scary, so I left it. <laughs> I don't know what that is. But there was an increase in what they deemed they uh, deemed meaning of life or happiness, which they associated in their data with what they called greater marital satisfaction and a decreased likelihood of divorce. It's really interesting when you look at the world's perspective on marriage because the, oftentimes the world views marriage as kind of like a seasonal burden, right? It's something that you have to do. It's almost kind of like a seasonal romantic imperative. Well, we've done this. We've been together a while. So when are you going to get married, right? And it's like, well, I feel guilty if it you know, reaches a certain point. Some of you don't. Some of you do. And at different levels people do. They feel like it's some kind of imperative they have to go the next season. You got to, the world kind of sees it as this continuous you're together, you're dating, then maybe you move in together, maybe you get a dog, then you get married, then you uh, get another dog, and then maybe you have a baby, and then maybe another, right? And then it's like on this thing, you got to buy a house because you don't want to be in the apartment. It's just kind of like part of a flow. 
But can I tell you that marriage is so much more than the continued cohabitation of romantic feeling? God created marriage to have an order. God created marriage to be good. God created marriage to be a blessing. And in fact, marriage actually multiplies your possibility and is a profound and beautiful thing in a biblical context. If you're not married today, I want to encourage you that still understanding biblical standards for what God has created is still important in your life, even if it does not directly apply. Some of you, you hope to be married. I just want to encourage you as I, we talk about marriage, don't settle for anything less if you plan for it to be lifelong. Like, you're, you're too good for that. Don't settle for that. Now, some of you, you're too picky. We'll talk about that different sermon. But <laughs> and tear up that list. Throw that away. Your youth leader lied to you. <laughs> you can, people who didn't grow up in church, you can ask people who grew up in church about that later. And they'll share their trauma with you. <laughs> youth groups of the 90s just, just dating trauma factories um, anyways that's not my sermon <laughs> biblical marriage is a blessing and that's what I want to talk today what is it about biblical marriage that is a blessing so let's pray together today Lord God I thank you for the opportunity to look at your word I thank you that you speak to us and I pray Holy Spirit would you move upon our hearts today in your mighty name amen so if you brought your Bible, go ahead, let's open together to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. If you didn't bring your Bible, no stress. The words are on the screen for you. If you're online, also no stress. The words are on the screen for you. But Ephesians 5, verse 15, it says this. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We kind of have to read that because we're Pentecostals, so it's like we read that every service. No, I'm just joking. Don't worry. <laughs> Some of you are so stressed out in that moment. Giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, and the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 21, follow me here. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, or sorry, the washing with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 31, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting right there. He says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wow, that's a lot, right? That's a complex uh, set of scripture. And so I do want to pause here, because biblical interpretation to me is incredibly important. And understanding what you're reading is incredibly important. And so this is a complex scripture, and to be fair, I've seen it wielded more than I've seen it taught. And when Paul is writing, he's writing to teach and to guide. And when we read this scripture, when we read any scripture, I think it's important to ask, how do we understand scripture? Let me give you a couple things. Is that okay real quick? The, the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is unique, though, because it was written by authors for a specific audience at a specific time, and yet is universally true and consistent, right? But the Bible is also not in a genre. It is a book of multiple genres. So, like, within the Bible, there are multiple genres. There's books of the law, like Leviticus. There's 
books of history, like Exodus. There's books of wisdom, like Proverbs. There's books of poetry, like Psalms. There's narrative books, like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There are, there are epistles, the letters, like Ephesians, right, written to a specific group at a specific time. There is prophecy, like Isaiah. There's even apocalyptic prophecy, like Daniel. You know that part you skip when you're on that Daniel fast? You're like, I've been eating vegetables too long. I'm not reading about crazy spinning cycles and feet and statues, right? There's all kinds of genres within Scripture, and within writing, there's, there's things that are happening constantly. There's, there's uh, writing devices. So when you write, sometimes you write descriptively, which means you write what's happening. And sometimes the writing of the Word of God is prescriptive, meaning what should happen. So let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, when it's writing descriptively about, or when it's writing about multi people having multiple wives, that's descriptive. That's not prescriptive. Heads up right? Don't go out and get five wives. That, that's not this kind of church. Uh, that's, just, he's, that's just describing what's happening. Uh, then there's prescriptive writing, like thou shalt not murder, prescribing that. Go ahead, don't kill anybody today, please, right? So there's different things happening within Scripture. And so if we were to interpret Scripture, we're, we're going to read Scripture, we, we likely would not approach it uh, revelation, let's say, the same as we would Luke. They're different. Like, we wouldn't take what John is describing in the same literal sense, though we read the words literally, that, that we would take when Jesus says, uh, you know, uh, to, to follow him, or when Jesus says, do not commit adultery, or when Jesus says, don't look at someone lustfully, right? There's a different way. Are you with me? So, when we evaluate, when we understand Scripture, we understand it as part of its own genre and what it is, like an epistle, a letter. But we also understand it as part of all of Scripture. This is, should be a huge red flag for you personally, is when someone tries to make a Scripture, especially an epistle, because people are famous for this, say something that all of Scripture does not say. It's not consistent with the Word of God. There, there's kind of two keys for this. One, you need to ask when you're hearing Scripture be interpreted, is this consistent with all of Scripture? And two, is this consistent with what all of Scripture says about Jesus Christ? Did you guys ever have those decoder rings when you were a kid? They were great. And you had a little message, and you write it out, and then you had the code, and you could, like, turn it, and it, it was awesome. I'm dating myself, apparently, because everyone under 20 is just like, no. What's, what's a cereal box? Uh, we only eat avocado toast for ten dollars. <laughs> um, so the it's delicious. I mean, we're all going broke together. Uh, the decodering was amazing because you had a little message, and so if someone read your message, they could read it literally, right? They could literally read what was written, but if they didn't have the key, the lens with which to look through it, though they were reading it literally and could pro proclaim their literal superiority, they would have no idea what it says. I believe the same is true about Scripture. You must look and read Scripture led by the Holy Spirit through the lens of Jesus Christ. You should never make Scriptures. The wild things and the abuses that Scripture has been used to do are, are devastating. Like, like, oh, okay, Paul says in an epistle that slaves should obey their masters, and he actually tells a slave to return to his master, so therefore we should have slavery, or we shouldn't let the slaves go if we go back in time. Like, no, that is highly inconsistent with all of Scripture. In fact, the people of God are freed slaves. Put a lot of effort into freeing slaves, right? Oh, well, this epistle says that women should be quiet all the time. Just shut up, women. It's like, well, th that's hard for me because when I see God promise and I see Jesus affirm and I see the ministers of the Old and New Testament, what I see is the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit will fall and your sons and daughters will prophesy and Paul teaching women how to prophesy and then telling some people to be quiet and I'm for that too. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Men and women sometimes, you know. All I'm saying, and I just want you to go with me because the same thing's true about marriage. Nothing is being overturned, right? And nothing is being added or removed. You, you can't take huge discrepancies with it that aren't there. We must interpret and understand Scripture in light of Jesus Christ. The intent of Scripture as it's connected to all of Scripture. Oftentimes you'll encounter someone who says, I'm reading it literally, and what they mean is literal to them. Which is actually just 
really lazy interpretation. And so I'm not trying to come after anybody. You have like a famous YouTube preacher. I'll come for them. That's fine. Uh, I didn't get the theology master for no reason. I'm coming for them. But the reality is that we need to understand it in its context and through the lens of Jesus Christ. And that is what makes this scripture make sense. Because we need to look at it in context with who Jesus Christ is. And so let's, let's do that today. Are you good? You're with me? Okay, awesome. Ephesians 5.22, it says this. Wives, submit to your husbands. Stay with me, wives. As to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, our Western modern culture hates this because we've attached the, uh, this term, we've kind of imbued it with these qualities of power, abuse, subservience, these kind of things. And so it's hard in our own context to break out of our own biases. But I want to encourage you, if you can, shake loose some of those terms that don't apply and look through the lens of Jesus Christ. What is consistent with all the scripture is this. Let me give you a foundation. And this, this will probably get me canceled, but that's what I'm here for. I don't even have Twitter anyways. God made men and women distinct and complementary. God made men and women distinct and complementary. That was his created intent. In fact, if we go back to Genesis, again, all of Scripture, right? If we go back to Genesis, we look at Genesis 2, verse 18, here's what we see. It says, The Lord said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Awesome job. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to man. And the man said, this, it, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This biblically is called the first pickup line. It says, therefore, a man shall leave. It's a little weak, but there was only two of them. She didn't have many options. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So God makes man, gives him this job, name animals. And you got to think, it brings him, like, got, got some dogs. Like a, maybe it looked like a wolf back then. I don't know. Uh, and man's best friend, right? Dog, I love my dog. It's man's best friend. But very obviously not the kind of intimacy that God was intending for mankind to have, right? There's a deeper intimacy or something greater, not just for man or men, but for mankind. So God created man and woman, both in his image, both to have his likeness, meaning that both sexes are equal before God in value, but they're not identical in nature. Nature. Let me say that again. Both sexes, man and woman, are equal in, in God's eyes, in value, but they're not identical in nature. They're not the same. There's something else called complementary. Someone say complementary. In color theory, when you have complementary colors, they're on the opposite ends. If the color's too close, it gets a little wild, right? They're complementary. See, the biblical view of gender is to hold simultaneously the equality and the complementary nature of the two sexes. Men and women are a partnership. But what's amazing about this partnership is that their contribution is not identical. It is, in fact, that man is best being a man, and woman is best being a woman. I know, that is groundbreaking today. But here it is. I'm only allowed to preach the Bible. That's my job. I only have like 40 Instagram followers anyways. Just boot me. <laughs> but I do, I think it's beautiful that the two sexes have these complementary distinctives. And that's what Paul is talking to. And because of maybe our perspective or our context, we don't view them as beautiful complementary distinctives. We view one as like authority and one as lame. <laughs> but they are actually beautiful and work together. Because submission, though often expounded in our culture to mean subjection, subordination, even subjugation, 
does not actually mean that according to the lens of Jesus Christ. When you look through Jesus Christ, that's not what it means. So I want to start with headship. Let's jump there. Man, I'm going to jump to you. Give me like a huh if you're with me. That was a good, good job. You can tell the men's director right now off the bat, Dave Barry leading the way. That was a good one. Someone's got to go first. Uh, I heard Stephen Frankie. Thank you for that, brother. Always building the church. Uh, Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What's the duty of the husband? To love his wife as Christ loved the church. Let me give you some things about godly husbands today. Godly husbands love like Christ. Godly husbands love like Christ. When the world thinks headship, they think power, they think authority, they think abuse. But that would be to interpret Scripture according to the context of the world. But the world is not our key. Jesus Christ is our key. He's our cornerstone. He's our interpretive lens. And so in Matthew 20, 25, Jesus says to his disciples, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The church is the bride of Christ. How did Christ serve his bride? He died for her. He gave everything for her. See, that, that's the way the world has authority twisted. In the lens and understanding of Jesus Christ, headship looks like sacrifice. It looks like laying oneself down to love like Christ. See, to be a godly husband is not to be domineering. Godly husbands seek their spouse's full potential in Christ. Husbands, if you need a mission, men of God, if you need a mission, your mission is to seek your spouse's full potential in Jesus Christ. In verse 26, we see that Christ's headship, though he's very clearly the head and very clearly leading the church, his headship did not crush the church's bride— but he sacrificed himself to serve her. And scripture says, so that she, his bride, could be everything he longed for her to be, specifically herself in the fullness of glory. This is the great thing about godly husbands. You do not use your headship to crush, stifle, or frustrate, but a godly husband gives himself for his wife in order that she, she may develop into her full potential under God and become more completely herself. That's a beautiful mission. To sacrifice to see this beautiful woman that God has placed in your life be everything in the glory of the, that God created her to be. That's what it means to be the head. So how do we do that? How do we support our, our wives in that way? Well, he says in verse 28, if you're with me, say amen. amen. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, someone say nourishes, and cherishes, someone say cherishes, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So how do we do it? Well, godly husbands nourish their wives. We need to be honest here. The hardest part of being married is deciding where to eat. Like, real talk. I've been married for 13 years, been together, coming up, I don't know what it is. Once you pass the baker's dozen, do you even keep track? Uh, no, what is it? How long? How many years now? 18 years we've been together. I will tell you, man, you want to see us just, just burn the house to the ground, get the whole family hangry, right? <laughs> right? Young man, if you're planning on getting married, here's what I'm going to tell you. Right now, have a list. Make a list of restaurants. Have it preloaded, preloaded, and just, just throw out two. And just, boom, move on, because my goodness, you don't know either, so you got to, I mean, you want her to decide. At the end of the day, I know, she knows, I just want her to say, say tacos, probably, and we could go get that, but we've already had tacos three times this week, but it's like, why not? Let's just double down, like, we're so close to the border. Not salad and go, <laughs> no, <laughs> salad and go, two things I hate, salad and just eating it in your car. <laughs> yeah, hard pass. If there was steak and go, I think I would be on the same plate. 
Yeah. Yeah, steak and shake. I got too much shake already. Like, that's not working for me. Anyways, thank you, children's pastor. Nourish. Paul says we nourish our body. We feed it. We sustain it. We strengthen it with food. And so he says in the same way as we nourish our body, we nourish our wives. How do we nourish our wife other than, like, giving her Snickers in the morning? John 6, 35 says, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. How do you nourish your wife? You lead her spiritually. You lead her spiritually. Hear me. This is not about personality or platform. This is about intentionality. I mentioned this in first service, and since you're both sitting up here, my favorite example is my brother Dave Barry, who's our men's director, and uh, his amazing wife, Gillian Barry, who's our worship pastor. And though you will see Gillian Barry on stage more than David Barry, it is very clear in their relationship that he has spiritual authority and leadership and takes that seriously, and that she respects him. So if you need a good example, there you go. And I think, again, it's not about personality. It's not about the most charismatic one in the relationship. Just lead your wife. Lead her to church. Don't make her drag you. Lead your wife to Scripture. Lead your wife to prayer and fasting. Some of you are like, listen, man, that's great that you have a degree, but I don't have a degree, and my wife is actually the really spiritual one. Like, she's got that prayer closet with, like, a... The, the beautiful red crimson uh, curtains, and she goes in. I don't know what happens, but the glory of God descends upon it like a pillar of fire, and she comes out, and she's praying for people. Her shadow heals people, and I'm over here just trying to power my way through the book of John, right? <laughs> Everyone's different, right? Here's the thing, and I, I get that. I talk to a lot of men who are like, man, that is I just not my speed. Like, she, I, like, I have to tell her to stop fasting. She's so spiritual. Jesus came down from heaven to tell her just to chill for like a second, right? So what do you do? I just want to encourage you, men. Be first through the door. Here's what I mean. Be the first to pray. You don't got to be the best. You just got to be first, right? right? Here's what I mean. When the day is difficult, when the kids are acting crazy, when things are frustrating, say, hey, let's pray together. When things are hard, when things are good, when it's time to celebrate. Man, when you come into worship, be the first to lift your hands and give God glory. When you see someone hurting and in need, be the first to step in and care for them. Just be, just be first through the door. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have a degree. Just say, Holy Spirit, wherever you lead, I'm going through that door. I'm not waiting for someone else to lead my family. I'm first through the door. Godly husbands not only nourish their wives, godly husbands cherish their wives. Someone say cherish. Godly husbands cherish their wives. Everyone still with me? There's a lot of teaching today. We're covering a lot of scripture, but, you know, that's why we're here to learn. Godly husbands cherish their wives. You know, in premarital counseling, we talk about every couple that comes in. The thing always says, husbands, as, as they get older, they'll need more shared activity. What I mean is, like, just pretend you like that sport and go with us and learn a couple players' names and cheer and then be down. And then, yeah, you'll be for it. My wife did that. Like, she'd come to games with me, and it's like, I know that she doesn't care, but she's in it, and that's, that's enough for me. Like, let's go hike. Let's go, you know, do something. Women, it always says, in every period of counseling I've ever done, as time goes on, need to be cherished more. Because at the beginning, your pursuit game, I hope, I hope ladies, you're not settling for someone who doesn't pursue you. Their, their pursuit game is on. Like, don't be the pursuer. They're the pursuer. That's how it works. The pursuit game should be on. And the hard part is the longer you get in marriage, you get into the more sense, men, we get into the more sense of, of dutiful responsibility. We show our affection by being consistent, by working hard, by providing. But there's a nature of cherishing and giving affection that is still crucial in marriages. And it's modeled by God and His bride. God cherishes the church. God cherishes you. There's this amazing moment when Jesus, before He knows He's going to be taken away, and He's praying this priestly prayer in the garden in John 17, 23. And His prayer is literally, God, would you help them know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me? Did you know that? Before Jesus went, before He was crucified, He prayed that you would know that God loves you as much as He loves Jesus. Like, I don't even know where to begin with that thought. Oh, that's a big, take time. You got your whole life. But it's a beautiful thought that God cherishes you. 
Men of God will cherish their wives with the affection designated to her. We love our kids, we love our moms, we love our friends, but we, there is a special amount of affection, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, that is designated for your wife. It fully belongs to her, no one else. It does not belong in a text thread with someone else. You don't have work companions it belongs to. It doesn't belong to someone behind a screen. It doesn't belong in a different relationship. It fully belongs to your wife. And I just want to give you advice, men of God, don't give away the affection meant to your wife. Don't give it to someone else. It's hers. You made a commitment when you married her that she had designated affection, and it's our call to cherish our wives. And oftentimes, it is the most simple things of being a leader in how we speak, act, and use our time, and use our time, and use our time, and use our time. And guess what the next one is? Use our time. There it is, right? How we designate things and how we cherish and how we are intentional. And oftentimes... It's not that we are intentionally uh, pulling away the love and the cherishing of our spouses. We're just busy fulfilling our duty as providers and in that space that we forget that there's a level of cherishing that we need to reflect. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. This is my favorite thing, though. I was thinking about that this week. Is that it's not just that as men, like, I think you can do it. Like, I know you can do it, and beyond that, God created you to do it. It's not a foreign thing. It's, it's in your bones. It's in your DNA. It's in your blood. God created you with the intent, with the mindset, in the created order of marriage. And then he said, they're not perfect, but God is so good that in the ascension of Christ, he says, I'm going to send a helper to be with you. And as a husband, you say, yes, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with me because I'm not perfect. But I'm thankful that as I walk out this order that God has ordained in my life, that I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, can I just encourage you? You will be a husband that is easy to follow. Be a husband that's easy to follow. Be trustworthy. Be a spiritual leader. Your wife wants you to lead spiritually. She might have like 18 Bibles, but in her heart, she wants you to lead spiritually. She wants you to go first. She wants you to direct and to guide. So let me go back to wives. Everyone still with me? Okay, I didn't forget about you. I just had to lay the groundwork because that needs to be our context right here. That needs to be the kind of people that Paul is saying and the kind of leadership Paul is saying to come under authority and to walk within mutual submission. It says in verse 31, Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Amen. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Women of God. Godly women love their husband as the church loves Christ. That's what Paul's saying. As the church loves Christ, as so the church expresses that love to Christ, so godly women love their husbands. In verse 21, but I, that's why I read this chunk early, we're told that submission is a natural activity of Christian life. In fact, they were submitting to one another. The reason I read that is to take out some of the contextual cultural sting of the word submission. Because in a Christian context, submission is a regular part of life. And Ephesians has told us so far, wives submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, and husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. So let's just, let's just be really clear here in this moment. What does it mean to submit? It means to give oneself up to somebody. What does it mean to love, agape love, to love like Christ on the cross? To give oneself up for somebody. In this setting, love and submission are complementary aspects of the same thing. Women, Paul is not saying that God has called you to a place of subservience. But that God has called you to a place of mutual sacrificial respect. To respect your husband as an act unto God. It's not an act unto your neighbor or your friend. You're not proving anything to anybody. It is an act unto God. It is actually worship. You're not worshiping your husband. It's an act unto the Lord. Are you with me? Your husband's not God. Don't let him convince you of that. <laughs> as unto the Lord. Wives, your husbands need to know that you respect them. If they're going to take up the mantle of headship, which they should, the mantle of leadership, 
They need to know that you will respond with love and respect to sacrificially love as they sacrificially love. And I'm just going to speak for all men, front to back. We are not perfect, right? We, we are not perfect people. If you're in here and you're perfect, come talk to me after. We'll pray it out of you. We're not perfect by any means. We're not perfect. But we're trying. Amen? We're trying. We're pursuing. Your husband needs to know that you speak well of them. Let me just ask, when was the last time you told somebody you were proud of your husband? Some of you are like, all the time. Praise God. Tell some of these other people. Like, honestly, just break into a circle. Maybe not a circle of single people in their, like, mid-30s. That's going to rub some salt into the wound. But, like, just, you know, maybe like a circle of marriage, just, you know, kicking the door and just be like, hey, like, my husband's amazing. <laughs> like, build up that mentality of celebrating who your husband is privately, publicly. When we think of the church loving and respecting and following Christ, the question is, does my treatment of my husband, for you, not me, I don't have a husband, does your treatment of your husband reflect or mirror that relationship? Because here's the reality. Husbands and wives, you're in this together, right? It's not like he's over here and you're over here and she's over here and you're over here. You're, we're in this together, right? God created you to be together. You were created for more than just like a boring, tense, mundane, conflicting marriage that just kind of trucks along until the kids are out and then you got to find, I don't know, if you buy a boat or something now because you don't know what to do and be around each other. It's like buy a loud machine so you're still together, but you don't have to listen to each other like a side-by-side like a, like a -side or something, right? It's more than that. Your union is a beautiful expression of the love of God. You were created to live out this incredible, beautiful multiplication of the kingdom of God intent for your life with the order of creation upon it. So how do we live that out? Okay, I'm going to give you some real quick things. Ready? Real quick things. Number one. I know it's got to be quick because I'm running out of time. Real quick. Godly marriages are rooted in the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Godly marriages are rooted in the sacrificial love of Christ. The act of self-giving is the foundation of a blessed marriage. Self-sacrifice is not easy, especially when both people are broken, uh, imperfect people, and I've yet to meet a marriage where someone was perfect, no matter what they thought. Someone, at least both, are <laughs> always broken, imperfect people. There's always the pain of adjustment, right? You're independent people who are now learning to be interdependent in certain ways and independent in others. There's the pain of vulnerability because closeness can lead to self-exposure, to mutual knowledge, right? Nobody could hurt you with their words like their spouse, your spouse could because they know things about you that nobody else knows. We expect there to be conflict. But here's the thing. As you're learning and growing and walking together, we love sacrificially like Christ. This is not a point. It's not going to show up on the screen, but you just need to know godly marriages don't have scales, Imagine if God said, I did this for you, now you must do this for me to level the scales out. And yet in marriage, oftentimes we have scales. I've done this, I do this all the time. Now, if you need to redivvy chores, that just sounds like a Saturday morning meeting, family meeting. <laughs> you should have that meeting and you should talk about chores. I'm talking about just in life, we try to balance scales. I did this for you, you did this for me, you did this to me, so that means I can do this. Like we, we have these weird scales. Can I just tell you, take those scales, burn them to the ground, take them out to the desert, and bury them in a shallow grave, hoping that the wolves will take them into the wilderness, and you'll never see them again. That is what you should do. Do not drag them into your relationship, because the scales in our mind will always be balanced away from us. But that's not what God created us to do. He created us to sacrifice, to look at conflict, to say, how would, how would Jesus respond? To look at frustration and say, how would Jesus respond? To look at victory and say, how would Jesus celebrate? To respond as Christ responded. Okay, second thing. Godly marriages serve like Christ. Someone say serve. Serve like Christ. Matthew 20, 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Can I tell you the best moment in marriage is when both people are using their creative brains to find ways to serve one another. Those are the people I look up to. I'm not talking like creative, like write a song, paint a picture. I'm just saying like you don't run out of ways to honor your spouse and to serve them and to love them. I'm just going to say it right now. If you're not married, do not get married if you want to be served. Only get married if you want to serve. Look at Jesus. Philippians 2 says he's God, and yet he chose to be a servant even unto death. And then Jesus looks at you, and he goes, there's your model. God has given you an amazing mind. 
He's giving you an amazing brain. Use it to find ways to serve your spouse. You're like, I don't know what she wants. I don't know what he wants. Can I just give you, this is so biblical, ask. You have not because you ask not. (laughs) And don't like sit down for your meeting and say, here's how I want you to serve me. That's not going to go well. You want to get yourself kicked out of Berdina's, that's how you're going to do it. It's going to be the last time you're in that Starbucks. Here is what you do. You sit down and say, Hey, listen, I love you. I care for you. How can I support you to be everything God has created you to be? I see that God has put a beautiful purpose on your life. How can I support you to be that? I see that God has set you as the head of our family. How can I support you as you are learning to do that? Because it doesn't look easy. How can I support you? Can I just tell you, you have that conversation? Man, sex that night is going to be amazing. Because you're going to be united together on the same path of serving one another. The other part is if you want to serve each other better, go serve others together. Because often we think that we're good at serving the other person, but really they just haven't suggested anything so far we don't like. We're really serving ourselves. It's like, yeah, I want to do that. Sounds good. But when you go serve other people, when you go to Love the Block, when you go to Unite Phoenix, all of a sudden you begin to serve other people and train your mind of what it really means to serve someone expecting nothing in return. And then you come home and you go, I'm going to do that here. Godly marriages. Okay, everyone sit with me. Godly marriages are also devoted to sexual intimacy. It says in verse 31, man leaves his family, the two become one flesh. It's a powerful image that Paul is teaching. It is such a shame in our world that this idea of sexual intimacy and sexual union has been so perverted and twisted and broken when really it's probably, it is a powerfully descriptive symbol in all of creation. Like the fact that in Genesis 2, he says the man will leave and they'll be united together and be one flesh. And then all the way here in Ephesians 5 at the back half, man will leave, be united together. It's really a beautiful thing that God has created, not only as a symbol of union of man and woman, but also of Christ and his church. But in our lives, sexual intimacy is a great indicator that a marriage is spiritually healthy. We ask these questions. Does the wife feel cherished? Does she feel nourished? Does she feel cared for? Is the, hus- is the husband sacrificing of himself with a passionate desire that she be all she was created to be in God? Husbands, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you build up your wife, you will have better sex. Confidence has a direct result. But beyond just physical, mental confidence, there's a security in knowing that she is safe with you. Not like safe like you won't harm, but safe that you will lead her and support her and believe for her to be all that God has called. There's a confidence there. Is the husband respected? Does he know he's supported by his wife? Does he feel safe truly sharing and being who God has created him to be, knowing that those conversations stay within the confines of those conversations and they don't go outside those conversations? Can he be honest with his affections or is he concerned that his trust and safety is violated? This is such an important part of marriage, and I love that Paul puts it in here because it's kind of like restoring the creative intent of mankind. That sexual intimacy is a great way to love and serve one another. It involves trust and care. Godly husbands and wives. I don't know if there's, it's hard to see, but I'm just going to say this. If you're under 13, earmuffs, but it doesn't matter. Godly, Godly husbands and wives have sex. If you're not having sex, then questions need to be asked. Because chemically, you have a, at least a physical affection that must be fulfilled. And if it's not going to your wife, it's going somewhere else. Wives, do not be deceived. If it's not going to you, it's going somewhere. That's like fundamental biology. It's going somewhere. But the beautiful marriage is the marriage that is linked together in union and is celebrating what God's doing. And oftentimes it's a great litmus test too. Are we on the same page? Okay, my last two things. Now we're talking about sex. Why doesn't the band just come up? That sounds good. Go ahead, come on. <laughs> I said for a service, sex, love, and rock and roll. No one laughed. <laughs> it's all, all guests. <laughs> Godly marriages is my fourth thing. Godly marriages are blessed by God. 
I believe God's going to do a work in your life. Just like I'm going I'm to pray for you. We were praying over marriages in first service. But number four, God, godly marriages are blessed by God. I love that in creation, this kind of like first post-creation act is that, that God is creating this union of man and wife. When you pursue God, he will bless your marriage because we know a life that is in union with Christ is blessed. That God does bless marriages and that we know marriages that are full of the character and love of, love of Christ are healthy and they're enjoyable and they're joyful. But the fifth thing and probably most important is that godly marriages are filled with the Spirit. As believers, if you're a believer here today, you've received the Holy Spirit. He's with you. That's amazing. And when you gather, you and your wife, you and your husband, that relationship needs to be filled, directed, and led by the Holy Spirit. Marriage is messy, difficult, amazing, beautiful, frustrating, fantastic, crazy, right? Like all of these things together. But a marriage that is full of the Holy Spirit is truly exemplary and blessed. In Galatians 5.22, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It says, this is the fruit of the Spirit, meaning when you abide in Christ in the vine, and the Spirit moves through you, here's the fruit, here's what comes and begins to grow on the vine of your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That sounds like an amazing marriage. That also sounds like it takes the Holy Spirit. If you've been married for longer than like four minutes, you know that takes the Holy Spirit. The beautiful thing is God doesn't expect you to do it without the Holy Spirit. And yet many times we try. And I feel like today God is saying, would you be led by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit? And just pray, Holy Spirit, work through me, move through me. I give you my marriage and my relationship to do a work. I love reading, I was just reading Acts 4, and uh, I love all the believers. You know that they have the Holy Spirit. They've had Pentecost. They've had this amazing moment. And then in Acts 4, they're praying for boldness because they're a little uncertain. They've, they've suffered. They've had some difficulty. And it says that the house shakes, and it says that the Spirit fell on them. They were filled with the Spirit. It's like, wait a second. They were already filled with the Spirit. And there's this beautiful thing linguistically that's happening as the writer's writing where he's saying it, it's like a fresh anointing fell upon them and the reality of the Holy Spirit and his presence and who he is and what he does begin to move upon them. And you're anointed, but there's like this fresh anointing. And this morning, I, I was really been praying that since the beginning, even pre-service prayer. We were praying that God would put a fresh anointing upon marriages. That man, maybe you're here today and you're struggling in your marriage. There's frustrations, there's, there's bitterness. Or maybe there's just exhaustion. I'm just going to pray and believe a fresh anointing upon your marriage. Not by the power of the service or this moment, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, man, you're hurting in your marriages. There's some bitterness. There's some frustration. Man, you need fresh healing from the Holy Spirit. And some of you are like, you know what? Yeah, marriage is good. It's great. Like, yeah, we've been married. But we really don't have that vision, that fire, that passion in our marriage to see God do something through us. I really want to pray for you today that God would really put a fresh anointing, fresh vision over your marriage to get fired up about the possibility of what it could look like. Man, we're walking in the order of headship that God has put in. We're walking full of the Spirit. There's a confidence. There's a move of God. Would you stand with me this morning? Don't, don't bow your head or close your eyes. Normally we do that. But I want us to be together. If you, uh, if you came in wearing a mask, this would be the time to take it off. I don't mean the COVID one. I mean the one over your spirit that you hide, like, what's really happening. You can, keep, you can keep the face mask on. I mean the mask over your spirit, the one that's like, I don't want people to see who I am, what I'm going for, through. I don't want to respond because what will people think? This is the crazy thing is everyone's just right now thinking about themselves and what God wants to do through them. And I want to pray for you because I'm believing for God to move in your life. I want to pray a fresh anointing upon your marriage. So we're going to lift our hands together. Lifting our hands is a great moment because it's a sign of surrender and just offering before God and also receiving. And so in just a moment, I'm just going to invite you for a couple things. One, if you're saying, man, you know what? I'm struggling in my marriage. I need God to do a miracle. If you need the Lord to do a miracle today in your marriage, then I just want to encourage you. Who cares what anybody thinks about you? Your marriage is the most important thing right now in your life. We want God to move. 
And if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I've been hurt in marriage. There's hurt in our marriage, and we need healing of the Holy Spirit. And we're like, we, we need God to do a miracle in that space. I'm going to pray for you as well. And this morning, too, if you're saying, man, I, I'm just believing for more in our marriage. We, we've, just ne- we've never prayed for more. We've never actually believed that. And I'm like, man, you know what? More is possible in our marriage. Like, man, so much more is possible. We've been doing a lot on our own effort and under our own strength. But I would love to just see a season of the Holy Spirit leading like never before and giving us fresh vision and anointing. So if that's you, would you just, any of those, just lift your hands with me. I'm praying the same thing. I, I'm believing more for God in my, my marriage. I'm a pastor of this church, and yet there, I just think there's so much more of anointing upon our lives. And, and I'm, I'm praying and believing here. This morning, if you're here, and in fact, even before I pray with our hands raised, they're tired, throw them down, throw them back up. That's all right. If you're here and you would be so bold because you're, you are honestly that desperate here today and you're saying, I need God to do a miracle in my marriage. I, I'm, I'm gonna pray for you right now. You don't have to come forward. Just wherever you are, just kind of like wave your arm as part of that. Okay, I'm gonna pray for you right now. Holy Spirit, we pray right now for the marriages that need miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, that it's not by our power, but by your power and your authority. So I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, would you break away the chains of hurt and bitterness and frustration, and would you place a fresh anointing over your life right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray a fresh anointing falling upon you right now, overwhelming, overcoming you, over the top of you to receive this morning the anointing that God wants to put on, that the the old pieces that have begun to break and feel fractured that he is healing and uniting and nursing that he's pulling away the the diseased and broken things and he's putting a healing balm upon your marriage right now and you're going to want to try to do it by your effort you're going to want to try to do it by your work but he's saying no surrender give it to me and allow me to not only reveal the depths and riches of my love for you but the possibility of your marriage to the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for all of you this morning. Would you lift your hands with me? God, I pray right now over the marriages of this church. I pray a fresh anointing upon them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right now, for those that need healing, we pray healing by the power of the Holy Spirit. For those who are saying, God, I cannot leave this place without a miracle, we pray a miracle by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by our strength, not by the strength of this moment, but by the strength of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray right now for fresh vision of upon marriages. I thank you that you created marriage. I thank you that you ordered marriage. And I pray right now that you would just give a fresh anointing for those marriages that have seen great things and yet now are feeling weary and worn. I pray that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them, that it would be like a fresh spring welling up in their lives, bringing life, bringing wholeness, bringing fullness, bringing joy. Where there was sorrow, we pray rejoicing. Where there was depression, we pray joy and rejoicing over their life. We pray great vision for those who have even just now begun to believe. We pray vision in the name of Jesus over possibility in their life. God, I pray you would use them, that you would strengthen them, that you would multiply them as godly husbands and godly wives walk together to serve your kingdom. I pray a fresh anointing upon you. I pray a fresh anointing upon your life just right now here, you're here in this place, I feel like someone's saying, like, I just, I need greater vision right now. I need direction. I need clarity. I need wisdom. With your eyes closed and head bowed, you're here and you're saying, I need direction. I need wisdom. I need clarity right now in my relationship. Uh, you're With your hand raised, just kind of like wave it at me. I'm not going to call you up forward, but you're saying, I need vision and direction in my marriage right now. I want to pray for you right now. I pray right now the clarity of the Holy Spirit upon you. That there are words that have been spoken over your relationship that have caused it to be foggy and unclear. That you feel like you're, you're walking one step and you're trying to be faithful, but the way seems unclear. And the Holy Spirit just says right now, would you grab a hold of my hand and trust me to lead you? 
Don't trust the word of someone putting things upon you or speaking against you, but trust the word of the Holy Spirit, the direction and guiding of the Holy Spirit by the power of the word of God. Trust what he says about you and over you and over your marriage. Receive that you are a child of God fully and completely and receive the direction that comes. Holy Spirit, we pray, direct and guide, direct and guide our marriages here today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.